Well, good morning. Uh, last week, we finished up our study of the book of Galatians. And before we embark on our next study, which is the book of Philippians, we are going to take a three-week, um, I almost called it a diversion. I don't think I want to call it that. Um, I want to say that the elders have decided they would love to be able to share with you who uh, they believe, we believe, God is calling uh, Cole Community Church to be. So for today and for the next two weeks, you'll hear from three different elders as we uh, share with you that, uh, that calling. And in the process, we'll give Jackson and Rod a much-deserved rest. So if you'll pray with me, then we'll, uh, we'll get started. Father, we acknowledge you as the Lord of this church, as the owner, of this, as the chief steward. And since this church belongs to you, you can call it to be anything you want. And so, Father, I pray over the next three weeks that we will come to better understand who you have called Cole Community Church to be. We praise you, Lord, and we pray that the time that we spend studying this will give us a clearer picture of who you are. And we pray all this to the glory of you, because it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Throughout history, there have been a number of visionaries, people who have the ability to see the future when the rest of us don't seem to be able to see it. Some of those people have been very famous, but a whole lot of them have not been famous at all. A couple that come to mind that were famous, uh, this one in particular happened on May 25th, 1961. Some of us in this room are old enough to remember that. But on that date, a young president, John F. Kennedy, addressed a skeptical nation, and he said, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out, a landing of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to Earth. Uh, those of you that don't remember the 60s, uh, don't you don't realize how outlandish that was. Just 20 days earlier, NASA had successfully, for the very first time, put a man into space, Alan Shepard. Last, last uh, service I said uh, Neil Armstrong, but Alan Shepard went up and he came down. And that's all he did. <clears throat> and yet 20 days later, John F. Kennedy announces that before the decade is out, we're going to put a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth. Really hard to believe, but he saw the future. And you know what? The people, the nation, embraced it, and they got excited about it. And as a country, we looked forward to that day when we were going to land a man on the moon and bring him home safely, and we did. About two years later, another great American also saw the future that the rest of us couldn't seem to see. And on August 28th, 1963, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., Martin Luther King, Jr. said, among other things, these words, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. 
I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at a table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a desert state sweltering in the heat of injustice and oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation that will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. He saw the future. The rest of us couldn't. And today we are a whole lot closer to, to that uh, kind of future than we were in 1963. But probably the greatest visionary of all times is Jesus Christ himself. And I'd like to take a look at the vision that Christ has for the church as it's contained in Matthew 28. So if you haven't turned there, would you do that? Turn to Matthew 28. <clears throat> We're going to look specifically at verses 16 through 20. This is uh, the, the scripture that most of you are very familiar with. It's the Great Commission. But I think to get a real appreciation for the visionary aspect of this, you have to make sure you understand the setting. <clears throat> it was just a short time uh, before that Jesus had died on a cross, been placed in a tomb, and was found risen again. And in verse 10 of that chapter, he says, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my disciples to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. So the word came to the disciples, and they immediately left, and they went to Galilee. Now at this point, they must have been confused. They must have been uncertain. They saw Jesus die, and suddenly they're hearing that he's alive again, and they're supposed to meet him on a mountain in Galilee. And when we pick up the story in verse uh, 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, worshipped him, and some of them were doubtful. Some of them, I'm sure, were just like me. I'd be going, I'm not sure. Are you sure? I can't. I don't know about this. <clears throat> but some of them worshipped him. But the point is, all 11 of the disciples showed up. And there they encountered Jesus. Now, what were they thinking? Were they thinking, this is great. Three years ago, we joined him, and we saw him do mighty works, and we have come to understand him and come to know him as the Son of God, <clears throat> as the Messiah, as the Savior of this world. And we thought he was, he was dead, but now he's alive again, business as usual. Maybe he's going to continue to lead us, and we're going to continue to follow him in a similar path, uh, way that that they did before. Jesus, on the other hand, has a different vision of the world as we know it. And so in <clears throat> verse 18, he begins by saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Let me just stop there for a moment. <clears throat> The call to the disciples was, you go 
and make disciples. All authority has been given to me. And later on in the passage he says, and I'll be with you. But all authority has been given to me. You go and make disciples. I'm sure the disciples didn't feel like they were ready for this. But they did. They did it. And so if we continue to look at the text, we'll better understand exactly what Jesus has in mind when he says, go and make disciples. In verse 19, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So their call was to make disciples, and they were supposed to go. I think that word go is uh, one that we should understand. In in the Greek, every sentence uh, has a main verb. And the main verb of this sentence is make disciples. That's what they were to do, make disciples. Go, therefore, becomes a descriptive word, a participle, and really is better translated as you are going. And the reason this is important is because it really helps us to better understand what Jesus had in mind. What he had in mind was his disciples would go out and baptize and teach in the process of living life. As they were going, they would do this. That's a lot different than prepare, organize, create an event. Those are different things. There's nothing wrong with festivals and crusades. A lot of people uh, come to understand, come to know Jesus as a result of those. Those are good things. But right here in this passage, Jesus is telling his disciples, go about living your life. And as you go, do these things. What things? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we see the word baptize, we think of water. But baptize really simply means to immerse. Immerse people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's what the disciples were to do. They were to share the love of Christ with people and give them the opportunity to become immersed in Christ and Christ in them. That's the conversion experience, and that's how disciples are first made. But, but the passage goes on. I think oftentimes we stop right there and we think that's what this is all about. But the passage goes on in verse 20 and says, Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So there's some teaching involved here. And teaching to observe. When I think of the word observe, I think of notice. I notice. I happen to um, um, see something. That's, that's not the word observe that's, that's used here. This is observed similar to um, the way what we're going to do tomorrow with Memorial Day. We're going to observe Memorial Day, right? We're going to honor it. We're going to embrace it. We're going to be part of it. And a better translation for observe is actually uh, to keep or to obey. So what Jesus is telling his disciples here is to go teach people about me in such a way that they come to know me, that they keep my commandments, that they obey me. So obviously this is more than just simply speaking the word and walking away. This involves getting involved enough in people's lives 
that you can, you can watch them grow. You can participate in their growth. And he ends by saying, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That must have been a great assurance to the disciples, although they probably didn't quite understand what that meant at that point. But it wasn't too, too much longer that uh, at Pentecost they came to really understand that Jesus will be with them by way of the Holy Spirit, and just as he is with us today. So this is the vision that Jesus gave to his disciples. A vision to make disciples by baptizing people into the name of Jesus and to teach people to embrace and obey Scripture. And they were to do this as they went about living their daily lives, knowing that Jesus was with them all, always. So now that we have a picture of what Jesus envisioned for the future and how his kingdom was going to be developed by using these 11 disciples. Now that we have a vision of that, it's time to take a quick look at what Cole vision is. Cole Community Church believes, we believe that by God's spirit and grace, making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our vision. By God's spirit and grace, making disciples of Jesus Christ. The reason that we put in God's Spirit and, and His grace is because uh, we understand that so many churches um, begin to drift away from the realization that it is Christ's work in us that stirs people up, that changes their hearts, and that makes uh, a, uh, creates a spiritual growth that, we're, that a disciple is, is all about. So we wanted to make sure that that was a, a, served as a good reminder to us that we would make disciples just as Jesus called us to make disciples, but we would do it in such a way that was total and complete dependence on him, realizing that it's his spirit and his grace that makes it happen. So that's our vision, really the same as the vision that Jesus gave to his original disciples. But the next logical question becomes how should churches do it today? How should they make disciples today? And that how question is really a question of mission. And it's answered in a variety of ways by a variety of churches. Um, some churches feel they're called to fulfill their mission of making disciples by focusing their attention on the lost. These so-called secret churches use their church resources, pastoral staff and, and others, church resources, to um, appeal to the and, and to reach the unbeliever or the seeker. And so their ministries are directed at an unbelieving world. A perfectly fine approach, perfectly fine mission. There are other churches that uh, feel that they're, they are to fulfill the, the mission of making, the vision of mission, making disciples by loving the needy. These ch churches are often focused on programs to help the homeless feed the poor, and generally love the unlovable members of society. And yet other churches feel that their call is for social, social change, oftentimes um, through the political process. They, frequent, they, uh, they have a desire to be agents for change uh, in the world by helping their leaders in their society, in our society, see things from a Christian worldview. 
And the list goes on and on and on. All of these are the multitude of ways in God's great creativeness and great imagination that he's called different churches to go about the business of making disciples. But the question is, what about Cole? Who has he called Cole Community Church to be? And so our mission, we believe, is one of equipping disciples of Jesus Christ who grow in loving God, loving others, and impacting the world. So you notice from this that our, we believe our mission is all about equipping, equipping the disciples. You are all disciples. We are all disciples. If we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Equipping disciples who grow. That word grow is important because we realize that it's not an end process. It's not a, it's not, um, it requires uh, some steps along those, uh, along those lines. So we're in the process of growing people up. We're all about growth, spiritual growth. And what do we want to uh, grow people to do? We want to grow them to love God to a greater and greater extent, to love others more and more, and to have a greater and greater impact on the world. We're in, just in Boise, Idaho, but we can tr- literally have an impact on the entire world uh, in, in a variety of ways. And we realize that, and it's through equipping that we believe that we can make disciples in accordance with the way Jesus instructed his disciples, and we can watch people grow in their loving uh, ability to love God, love others, and to impact the world. But I think we better, under, we better make sure that we understand what equipping really is, scripturally. So I'd like to ask you to turn to one more passage with me. This one is in Ephesians 4, chapter 4. And uh, here we see Paul begin the chapter talking about unity of the spirit, unity of the body. And he talks about oneness. There's one body and one spirit in verse 4. Just as also you were called for one, one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. But in the midst of this oneness, he goes on to point out that we are all given different spiritual gifts. That's what the body of Christ is all about, different spiritual gifts. In the midst of our oneness, we have different spiritual gifts that we're expected to exercise. And so skipping down to verse 11, I'd like to focus on 11 through 13. In verse 11, he says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor and teachers. Pastors and teachers. <clears throat> now, we know from Scripture that there are many other spiritual gifts. So the question becomes, why did he just list these? And as you look at these, you notice that they're all uh, about proclamation of God's word. They're all about teaching proclaiming who God is. And so the question then becomes, well, what is it they're supposed to proclaim? What are the pastors, that is the shepherds, the teachers, what are they supposed to proclaim? So the verse goes on to tell us, in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service. Now that word equipping is... uh, in the English is a verb. 
But in the Greek, it's a noun. And what that means is that it really has a, uh, is better, has a, has a sense of um, the idea of completion or fully trained. So the idea is the equipping that we talk about is the, the thing that uh, what, what we're striving for is to become complete. We want to help people become complete. We want to help them become full in, in their fullness of Christ. That's what spiritual growth is all about. So the equipping is all uh, a process of completion or becoming fully, fully trained. So the pastors, teachers, and others are called to equip the saints for what? For work of service. Now, some of the, some of the translations say work of ministry, um, and uh, that's, that's okay, except that ministry in today's church kind of takes on this, uh, this notion of organized, structured um, programs. And uh, really, the word here, uh, probably service, is a, is a better translation, because service, as it's used here, is simply uh, anything that's, used to, um, that's done for God or for his people. So again, the equipping happens to the saints, that's all of us, for works of service, for God's things that we do for God or for his people. And there's a sequence involved here. He gives pastors, teachers, those gifts. They equip the saints for works of service, and the result, the passage says, is the building up of the body of Christ. Somehow, as we exercise our gifts and as we participate in this uh, and we, we use those gifts, the body of Christ is built up. Verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's a cumbersome sentence, but basically it's saying that this equipping, which leads to building up of the body of Christ and unity of the faith, results in the fullness of Christ. This is the way it goes. Okay? <clears throat> so the equipping, <clears throat> excuse me, the equipping that we do is designed to lead to this fullness of Christ. In fact, in Colossians 1.28, Paul states his goal of ministry to present each believer complete in Christ. I think that's the idea. We at Cole Community Church take seriously this um, charge to equip the saints for works of ministry because we long for that day where we can present uh, the people that we're, we're closest with complete in Christ. What a privilege that will be. So, how do we focus on equipping in our ministries? Well, here's some practical ways that we do it. We value spiritual growth of people over well-run events and programs. That doesn't mean we don't care if an event is well-run, but the emphasis and the priority that we place has to do with spiritual growth. Uh, the, an example of that may be uh, when we as pastors come together once a week for our a pastor a staff meeting, and if one of the pastors has recently had some sort of an event or some sort of a program, um, we oftentimes ask them, how did it go? 
Very seldom do we hear, this is how many people attended. It was really, it was really slick. It was really smooth. Things went really, really well. People got up on cue and did what they were supposed to. It, you know, we don't hear that. What we hear and what we long to hear is God really used this event and touched people's hearts. And I had somebody come to me, and they told me that um, they have a much better, clearer picture of God as a result of this event. That's what we want to hear, because we're interested in spiritual growth of people, not well-run programs. Another thing that we do is we design ministries in a way that allows the most number of people, the most people, to be involved in the execution of that ministry. Now, we could, you could say that, oh, that's just because um, we don't want one person to have to do all the work. But if we, are, if, if we take Scripture seriously and we realize that equipping the saints for works of ministry, then um, we love to get as many people involved in ministry as possible. That's how this, how this happens. So you'll find, if you're involved in, in a ministry, you'll find that the desire is to get lots of people. Right now we're, we're in the process of, uh, of recruiting uh, Sunday school teachers. And uh, when we do that, we need a lot of different teachers. We could get by with fewer teachers, but we believe in team, the team concept of teaching. And we want to give lots of people the opportunity to love our kids and to grow uh, as they um, as they participate in that ministry, and all of our ministries are like that. Another way that we do this is we love to place people in ministry situations where they must rely on the power of Christ, not on their own strength. Uh, the fact that I'm up here teaching is a good example of what that looks like. I need the power of Christ, and we love to see people put in ministry situations. When they say, I don't know if I can do this, we say, you are really well positioned. This is perfect. You can do it. And, uh, and we watch God work in their lives, and they, um, they're moved, and they're, they grow in their spiritual strength, knowing, seeing, witnessing God work in their life. How exciting that is. So those are just some of the examples of how we uh, try to fulfill our mission here at Cole Community Church. So we've talked about our vision, and we've talked about our mission. This is Our mission is how we want to go about making disciples, fulfilling our vision. The one missing piece is what we call our ministry, uh, core ministry principles. We have, we've identified seven core ministry principles that represent who we believe God has called Cold Community Church to be. And the uh, overhead shows the, uh, a, a diagram there, a circle, with uh, a smaller circle inside of it. And around the outside of the circle are the seven uh, principles that uh, we've identified, teaching and prayer, relational, outward focus, ministry by the saints, new covenant-based, reaching the lost, uh, and in the inner circle is loving God and loving others, because this is the, the basis on which everything else needs to happen. If ministry is being done, if these core principles are being lived out, 
but not as a result of loving God or loving others, then, then we've failed. So that's the center of everything. And what I'd like to do is just look at one of those, um, one of those core convictions, uh, excuse me, core ministry principles. We used to call them core convictions, so I'm you know, living in the, in the past a little bit. Core ministry principles, and that is ministry by the saints. Ministry by the saints, of course, is exactly what we've been talking about. If we are committed to equipping the saints for ministry, it's important that the saints do ministry. In our paragraph that describes this, says, we are convinced that ministry is to be done by the saints in the context of incarnational and relational ministry. Incarnational is just is a, a theological word that simply means in the flesh, and it uh, rela- relates to the fact that God became flesh, lived amongst us, and as we accept him, he lives in us, we live in him. So we want to do ministry, we want the saints to do ministry uh, in that kind of a way, in total reliance on Christ and in a relational con- uh, from a relational component. Relational with Christ, relationship with God, and a relationship with others. In other words, we want to see ministry done as we relate and rub shoulders with each other. And the, uh, the paragraph goes on to read that we are committed to investing ourselves in equipping people for ministry. We emphasize leadership teams in all of our ministries. I just want to mention the leadership team concept. This is an important part of who Cole Community Church is. All of our ministries, we encourage all of our ministries to have leadership teams. And the pastors are, are expected to invest themselves in the equipping primarily of those leadership teams who in turn are expected to equip and train and shepherd and teach the rest of the, the flock of that particular ministry. That's the, that's the vision that we have. Because we're a large enough church that one pastor in one ministry can't possibly um, shepherd and, and equip every person in that ministry, but by using leadership teams, we can, we can do it. And so leadership teams are important. And they differ from groups of people who help the pastor do his, his or her thing. If we were to believe that a pastor's job is to shepherd an entire ministry, but that's too big a task, so he, needs, he or she needs some help of a few other people to take care of some of the logistical things, that's a different setup. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a leadership team who is being trained up to love, care for, and shepherd this body, this particular group of believers. So that's our vision, that's our mission, and that's at least one of the core ministry principles that help define how we're going to go about the equipping process. I'd like to close with a, uh, with a quote from out of this book, uh, the book's entitled The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. It's been around for a long time. And uh, at this section of the book, uh, Billy Graham was being, was being interviewed and was asked a question. Billy Graham, of course, the great, the great evangelist, probably the greatest evangelist of our time. And uh, in response to a question... If you were a pastor of a large church in a principal city, what would your plan of action be? 
Mr. Graham replied, I think one of the first things I would do would be to get a small group of 8 or 10 or 12 people around me that would meet a few hours a week, would meet with me a few hours a week and pay the price. It would cost them something in time and effort. I would share with them everything I have over a period of years. Then I would actually have 12 ministers among the lay people who in turn could take 8 or 10 or 12 more and teach them. I know one or two churches that are doing that, and it is revolutionizing the church. That's the church that we want to be, a church that does ministry that way. Over 2,000 years ago, Christ, on a, on a mountaintop in Galilee, called a group of ragtag guys together and shared a vis- vision with them to go make disciples. And today, in 2009, in Boise, Idaho, we are here because of that. And we have the great privilege to continue that legacy and to go make disciples. I encourage you to take seriously that charge. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thanks for your call to us. Thanks for being with us always. Father, may we never take matters in our own hands. May we never do ministry from our own strength. May we rely on you completely and trust that you will show up time and time again, just like you promise. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for who you are, for your vision and your call to Cole Community Church. And we pray in your son's name. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for communicating the heart of the elders. And I just want to say I love being part of this council of elders and the passion that we all have to really do what the scriptures say, which is equip all of you to live out, to mature in Christ and live out what uh, Steve described today. So um, thank you so much. Why do we celebrate Memorial Day? So we can have another three-day weekend, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> well, the, uh, that's not the original intent, of course. The original intent of Memorial Day is that we might uh, never forget that we're here because of those who have sacrificed their lives for us. That we might not forget those who went before us, but especially those who sacrificed their lives so we could be sitting here today and have the freedoms we do to live our lives and worship freely and all those things that we appreciate being in this country. Why do we celebrate communion? Why do we do that? Is it just something that churches have always done, so I guess we just do it? Well, that again, that's not the original intent. The original intent is that we might never forget that we are here, we are the people of God because Jesus died on that cross for us. And that all the benefits we have spiritually in our lives are a direct result of Jesus' death for us on the cross. So Jesus said, do this regularly in remembrance of me. So this is a memorial day for us as we take communion together now. So we want to do that. Let me just read you the words of Jesus 
recounted by the Apostle Paul as he says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup also, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, we are to remember where we came from. We are to remember what bonds us together. And it's the death of Christ. And so communion is a picture for us of that. So as we pass out the bread to you now, let this be a time of just preparing your hearts. Meditate before the Lord. Maybe you have things you need to confess. Maybe you just need to focus on the Lord and what he's done for you. But use this time to meditate on the cross of Christ. And then... I will lead us as we all take the bread together.